Hi, everyone. Welcome to Two Black Girls, our brand new podcast by Two Black Girls. So first, we just wanted to make sure that everyone knew who they were listening to on the podcast. And so we'll spend a brief moment just really introducing ourselves, why we wanted to have this podcast and what you can look forward to hearing as you continue to journey with us through this experience. Uh, so first, um, I'm Sherelle. Welcome to our bi weekly podcast. Just some context of who I am. So I am what you would call a two times college graduate. Um, I'm a trained teacher, principal, and now I'm a higher education professor and director of programming. Um, I love to discuss social policy. I love to discuss education and all things I've self-proclaimed to be an expert in. So <laughs> look forward to sharing with you guys all those things that I believe I'm an expert in on this podcast. Um, I usually complete a change of address form every year or two. Um, so we'll also talk about just what that means. I attribute that to the fact that I'm a millennial and so I can't figure out where I want to live and struggle with committing to location. My counterpart here though, who is also a millennial, has not had that same experience, which you will learn. So that'll be interestingly enough. And then just in other context about me, um, I'm a daughter, I'm an auntie, I'm a house partner and a friend. So welcome. Nicole, if you'll please introduce yourself to our lovely listeners. Hello, lovely listeners. I'm Nicole and I am Sherelle's best friend since like grade school, elementary school, actually. So she is my relationship. I am from Louisiana. I moved to Atlanta in 2002. I got a bachelor's in finance and then I went back and got an MBA. So I am kind of a college head like Sherelle. I currently work as a trader on the trading desk in the investment field. And I am not a mover and shaker like I was back in my college years. I am actually pretty stationary, just bought a house last year and I've been married for about nine years, so I am uh, building that foundation, as we say. Notice, everyone, that Nicole said she has bought a house and she's been married for nine years, and I just named that I move every year or two, and I'm a house partner. So just to break down that that <laughs> dynamic for you guys. Um so shifting into why we wanted to do our podcast or our point and purpose, um, we just wanted to be honest. And we are two very opinionated 30-somethings, Black millennial professionals, you know, with all the labels we could think of, women, um, college grads, like you heard us say. And so we're just out here being bosses every single day in all of the different realms of our life and our responsibilities. We're basically the same person when it comes to everything except our beliefs on policy, the world, just any of the big stuff. And like I just also named just those huge things when it relates to um, understanding commitment and making life choices in that way. Like we're very different when it comes to that. But our personalities are very similar. And we usually fall on opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to those larger issues and those larger um, ideas. 
And so we're here to just share our two very different ideas on these big topics with all of you. So we hope that you will tune in every other week and support us through our Two Black Girls podcast. So first we'll start, let's just get down to business. Um, We do want to make sure that we are actually spending time talking about what it means to be a Black professional millennial. Um, So in this part of our down to business part of the podcast, we'll share whatever business topics are on our mind. We'll pull from lessons learned, tips for millennials in the workplace, random topics we keep hearing about in business culture, and just in general, any opinions we want to talk about concerning being millennials, being Black girls, or being young professionals in general. So Nicole, if you'll start us off with our first topic, So I want to talk about this coronavirus that is taking over the world, I guess you'll say. It's like a real life episode of Resident Evil. (laughs) And I don't know, all the ramifications that go with it. Like, it appears we've been warned by our wonderful president that we'll have to change our lives for the next, I don't know, six to eight weeks to adjust to some of the changes that may be coming. So I kind of want to delve into what that might mean for real life people like you and me. I mean, it's got to be more than just like washing your hands every time you go to the bathroom for 20 seconds, singing the happy birthday song. And it's got to be more than whether or not you can work from home. Yeah. And I think too, Nicole, Like those seem like minor things, but what's crazy is that people still aren't doing that. Like when people wash their hands, are they really singing the happy birthday song or are they just kind of like running water on them? And then they're like, oh, that's good. Wash them, you know, Um, because I think that's part of the reason why the risks are happening. I know that like a lot in the social media, especially like people are always talking about how nasty people are, because why are you just now starting to wash your hands and things like that? At the same time, though, I think people have been out here washing their hands forever. They just don't understand how to properly wash their hands and how frequently they should wash their hands. It shouldn't just be after you use the restroom and after you eat. And even then, right, like people don't even wash their hands before or after they eat typically. So when are other times, like especially when we're thinking about the fact that we interact with so many different people who have different lifestyles at home and cleanliness habits When we are in the workplace, what are some other times that you wash your hands or you think that our listeners should know that they should wash their hands? (laughs) Well, I think it's just a matter of being aware of what you're doing. So like touching door handles, common spaces, you know, maybe you're in a meeting and you've like borrowed someone's pen or you, you work in a space where you have elevators and, you know, you're touching those buttons. It's just a matter of kind of what you're doing all day. I mean, I know we have some jobs where it's kind of obvious to wash your hands. Like if you're a mechanic and you touch in a car and you're about to go eat your lunch, or if you are in the medical field and you're constantly, you know, washing your hands and putting on gloves. I think those are kind of obvious, but it's like when you work, in those spaces in your day-to-day jobs where you don't think you're being nasty and you don't think that you're touching things that may require you to go wash your hands right then. But as far as I understand it, the virus is mainly spreading because of common surfaces. It's not just people breathing on each other or, 
you know, someone coughing in your face, that would be like the obvious thing. It's, it's the surfaces, it's touching something and then touching your face. So I think the two biggest things would be, you know, even when you don't necessarily think you may have touched something contaminated and keeping your hands out of your face, which I'd like to get into because that's actually really hard to do. How many of (laughs) you, I mean, if I say don't touch your face, you're like, okay, that's cool. But then do you really think throughout the day how many times you like rest your head on your hand or like hold your head in your hand or just touch your face or it, it's, it's actually become very difficult for me. So, so interestingly enough, uh, as you were saying that I was resting my head on my hand <laughs> and um, I was also, so I was reading through, there was this, um, I guess, image on Instagram last night where they were like the nine, you know, ways to prevent the coronavirus. And the first thing that they have on there is stop touching your face. And so I looked at my partner And I told him, I said, oh, let me read to you what it says. The first thing you should do, you know, to prevent the coronavirus. And he was literally like holding his nose. And so he kind of moved his hand off of his face. And it's like, this is what I mean. Like we are doing things that we don't even realize that we're doing because you don't think about like it's your face. You should be able to touch your face whenever you want. So you don't think about like I probably shouldn't because I'm spreading all these germs because the image had on there you know, you can catch it the easiest through like touching your eyes, your nose, your mouth, like these open parts of our face. Um, And then the germs are just going right in straight in because we have this nasty stuff on our hands and then we transfer it to our um, eyes, nose, mouth. So what do you think then about these masks? Because, you know, it's like a fashion trend now. Everyone has the mask. I've seen on TV, they had like these uh, medical professionals say that the masks don't actually stop you from getting it, but they help you to stop from spreading it. So if you already have it, then wear a mask. But if you don't have a mask, I mean, if you don't already have it, the masks are unnecessary. Do you agree? Because you work in a space, like I work from home for the most part, you work in a space where people are around you. Would wearing a mask make you feel more comfortable? Or do you think it would be just a fashion statement at that point? I mean, it, so a lot of the masks that we're wearing are not the correct mask. I don't think people realize that. So they say that if you have it, the virus that is, you're supposed to be wearing a mask that will allow you to like breathe out or I'm sorry, get air in because you don't want to be breathing it out onto people so to speak. And if you don't have it, you're supposed to be wearing the mask that allows air to come in. It sounds silly because we need air to go in and out, but apparently they have special type of masks for special type of things. And the average person is not wearing the correct mask. So in my opinion, in my workspace anyway, I feel like I just need you to put on a mask to get out of the building and get to your car. What you do from there is of your own accord, but I just need the mask on until you can get out of the building. But the problem I have at my job is I work with a lot of older people who are in the exact age bracket of the people dying from the coronavirus. And they don't seem to think it applies to them. Like they don't wanna work remote. They don't want to wear a mask. They just feel like this is stupid. They're not talking to me right now. Like. I'll wait till it gets worse. I'll wait till it's a true pandemic. I'll wait until 
all the kids are out of school and I have to be at home. I had one of my coworkers tell me, I feel like since I'm going to be trapped in my house anyway, I just may as well make the best of coming to work and like having social interaction with adults until I have to be at home. Well, <laughs> that's all well and good, but I mean, it just, it, it kills me. It really does. So that's the other reason why listeners, viewers, if you need to go to the grocery store, I feel like you probably should go ahead and go because in the next few days or weeks, the people who are going to be in the stores are the people like my coworkers who have waited until the last minute where it's like here in your face and now they want to get prepared. Like it amazes me the people who are now surprised that like there's nothing on the shelves in terms of cleaning products. And I'm like, yes, because it's kind of like, I relate it to like listening to a pop song on the radio. Like once you hear the popular song on the radio, do realize it's already been out for quite some time. It's been on satellite radio. It's been dropped on an album. Like the fact that you like it just now hearing it on the radio, it's already been in the clubs. That's how I think about this virus. It's already been out. It's already hit your state. Somebody's probably already died from it. But the fact that you're just now getting to it, it, I'm not going to say it's late, but it's not a new pandemic either. So <laughs> I was just supposed to get my mom about this last night um, because so first of all, so like I said, I work in schools. I, t I train teachers. Um, and so out here, so I live in Arkansas now and out here, the mayor and the governor actually have both issued a state of emergency. Um, and so what that means is that a lot of the schools that I work in are now closed. Um, and so one of my teachers I was talking to earlier this week was fussing at me because I hadn't gone to the store to stock up on things. And she was like, you know, Sherelle, like what in the world? Like, there's not going to be anything there. Try to go to this store over here. You might have more luck. And I realized, so then, you know, she put me in this slight panic, but then I realized when I thought to myself, the things I needed to get, those are things I keep in the house anyway, um, because I am like this old young person. So I already had beans and rice and pasta and tuna. And, you know, I keep those things. Um, but I've been fussing at my mom about it because that's not how she is. And so she, my parents are late 50s. Um, and so I've been fussing at her for the last two or three days. Go to the grocery store. Go to the grocery store. You know, and my niece and nephews are there with them. It's spring break. Their schools have now officially closed. And so my parents, as the grandparents, will more than likely be keeping them. Uh, but you need to stock up. Like, you need tissue. You need paper towels. You need water. You need all these different things that you guys are not used to having to stock up on because it's just you and my dad. You know, but now, since you're adding small people who are growing because they're going through puberty, you now need three times as much stuff as you normally would have. But we've been having this conversation back and forth about it for the last few days because there's no urgency. And when she's talking to my dad about it, she's like, well, Rail keeps telling us that we need to go to the store. And so my dad's like, oh, it's not a big deal. You know, but uh, their governor has also issued a state of emergency where all schools are closed. So if it wasn't that serious, like they wouldn't have kids out of school three weeks before they're supposed to do state required testing, you know, or four weeks before they're supposed to do state required testing. And, and they're in that group, right? Like they're not quite at the point of the folks who are the most at risk, but they're close enough. They're much more at risk than I am as a 30 something, as people in their late 50s. And there's no hurry to stock up on food, water, 
tissue. You know, I know they have cleaning supplies. My mom is a, is a freak about being clean. But other than that, you know, what are you doing to prepare? And to your point, Nicole, like it's putting the rest of us at risk because they are more susceptible to getting these viruses and then they go out and they interact with the rest of the world like they're superheroes and they can you know just not have to face it right it's the whole thing Um, like it this whole attitude of well they're not talking to me yet well it's it's not me i mean i i I realize i'm in that age bracket and i do have an underlying condition but they're not quite talking to me yet it's it's one of the frustrating things I find about that age group but I wanted to ask you as a nephews being like at your parents house being in the education field I wanted to ask you what's your opinion on the preparation of schools in terms of like online learning or the kids being out and just not doing anything for a week or two like what do you think is the best approach for these kids because unfortunately they're the innocent souls that are caught up in all of this at the worst time like you said state testing is coming up and you know it's spring break so their minds are already you know ready for a break how do you reel them back in once this week is over but they're still at home because of the pandemic like how do you think schools could could most benefit the kids at this point yeah so the the best example i've seen so far are schools who have guaranteed that their students have access to um, technology and those schools. So one of my schools I support in particular, um, it's, you know, hundred percent low income. Um, and so the school had already made an investment. They had already gotten a grant and they had already made an investment to get iPads for all of the students that iPads that come with data. Okay, so not even just like the Wi-Fi, because we can't assume that all kids have Wi-Fi at home or access to Wi-Fi. Because, again, like I said, I'm in Arkansas and Arkansas is extremely rural. So there are some folks who are like, well, even if they have Wi-Fi at home or not, they can walk to McDonald's. Well, you're assuming that these kids can walk to McDonald's. Like when you were living in a true rural environment, McDonald's could very well be (laughs) 10 miles away from your house. Um, So neither here nor there. So the schools I've seen that have done it the best they have already provided students with those supports. They've already taught the students how to use those supports. And then they've made sure that they can access the Wi-Fi. And so then what teachers and school leaders are doing is they are um, either logging in at certain times of the day to provide like virtual learning for students um, and then providing them with like practice opportunities that they can continue to work on in Google Classroom or any other platform that they're paying for or they're just uploading assignments and attaching it to videos like Khan Academy is really good for students to be able to work on um, independently. Now schools I've not seen do very well are schools that didn't necessarily think that clearly about just the dynamics of what students may or may not have access to. And so they may or may not have been prepared with packets. And even then, if you give a, you know, you know how we were, Nicole, in school, if you were to give me a 10 page packet on a Monday, like because I'm a nerd, I'm gonna do it by Friday. Well, the 10 page packet in theory is supposed to probably last them two, three weeks, you know, so then what do we do for the last week or two that we may or may not be out of school? Um, That's also assuming that you have kids who are keeping up with their packets, who find value in doing packets, because not all kids learn in that way. Um, So there's definitely been this big debate. A lot of folks are not happy with schools closing because they feel like it is so close to state tests. 
And then, of course, you have that element of, you know, as professionals like you and I, we don't have children. But as professionals who do have children, what do you do with your kids while they're now not allowed to go to school because you still have to go to work? Um, so there's a lot of conversation about it. And, and in terms of what I think is the best approach, like I said, you either you were planned ahead and you have the resources available already. Um, and so you can just lean into that for folks who weren't really as prepared. Um, I think at this point, they may need to start applying for some type of waivers or something um, when it comes to state testing, because it's not fair to hold kids accountable to an expectation. They lose an entire month of learning. Um, and as the school or the district, you know, you didn't do what you needed to do to make sure that when things like this happened, they could still get the education that they needed. Yeah, that makes sense. So what would your advice be to like, I mean, I know you said you don't have any kids yourself, but obviously you do have a history of having kids, so to speak, because you've been in the classroom for a good number of years. What would your advice be for, you know, young parents our age? I say young loosely, but young parents our age who (laughs) are having those school age kids that will be home next week or the week after. And, you know, what what can they do as parents to help? I guess, continue to nurture the education piece at home? Yeah, so what I've told my mom to do for sure, since she's now become a homeschooler, because I'm having to already talk with her about, you are now a homeschool teacher, so acknowledge that. Um, I think it's important. So, you know, we go to stores and stores are running out of tissue and rice and beans, but they're not running out of like practice workbooks. Those practice workbooks exist. And a lot of them actually exist at like Dollar Tree, family dollar, you know, super cheap places. So I think the smart thing would be to go and get those practice workbooks for students um, in math and in reading and language and things like that, and just have that available for your kids so that they're staying sharp. So I think while giving them access to things like that, because that those are documents that have already been proven to be successful. So giving them access to the workbooks, having them spend at least 20 minutes a day, 20, 30 minutes a day, just going through and practicing, asking them questions, answering questions, reading with them. I was an English teacher. And so I always tell folks, it's not hard to support your students in English. You just have to make them read. So just make them read the newspaper, make them read even a gothic, gothic, even a graphic novel or a comic book, just have words in front of them and then talk about it with them. Have them share out with you. What is the main idea of this one page or what is the main idea of this one article? Um, that they just read. And so that's still helping them stay sharp because those are the questions that they're being asked on those state's assessments. So just blocking off that 20, 30 minutes of time to do those things with them. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, that's good, practical, practical, easy to do kind of advice that I think would be good. Um, So not to totally switch gears, but if we're giving practical advice to those people our age that are at home with the kids or about to be at home with the kids. I guess my practical advice for the adults in the situation would be like, you know, as you're going out and getting these workbooks and, you know, focusing on getting your rice and beans and things that you need in the house, my 
advice would be also to take a good look at your finances. Um, you know, create that bare bones budget. You know, you don't know how long this is going to go on, how much worse it's going to get. Like, you know, you're going, if you have school age children at home, you need to be getting those workbooks. You probably need to be getting a few more things in terms of quantities that you wouldn't normally need to get if it was just you, you know, maybe that three pack of tissue is a 12 pack of tissue. Um, also, you know, withdraw some emergency cash. You know, they say cash is king in times like this. So we hate to think of, you know, the banking system going down or anything like that. But America has become very digital, very technological. So, you know, one pull of the plug, so to speak, and we will be on the old school barter system. So, you know, withdrawing that that emergency cash, you know, $100, $200, just in case, you know, things get a whole lot worse before they get better. Um, and evaluate your travel plans. You know, those of you who have kids or older people at home that you're taking care of, you know, you kind of want to be the responsible one and watch kind of, you know, where you're going. If you were planning on going out of the state or out of the country, does it have to be right now? I know a lot of businesses are canceling travel plans if it, you know, was for like conferences and stuff like that. So just kind of being really aware of your travel plans and if they can be delayed, postponed or canceled altogether and, you know, your shopping plans. So, like I said, everybody's headed to the stores right now. And, you know, you want to be really careful in terms of, you know, what you're touching. And this is not that time to be like just window shopping where you just want to touch everything and try everything on. And, Ooh, how does this look? I think it's that time to, you know, go in the store and just kind of get what you need and get out because, you know, the healthy people are going to the store right now and the sick people are going to the store right now. So um, just, you know, a little finance tip for the the adults in the situation of this pandemic. So, you know, Sherelle mentioned having what you need for the kids that are going to be at home. And that's just kind of the financial piece for the adults that will be at home. And um, just kind of preparing yourself, especially if you fall in that category of, you know, the worker, like my waitresses, my um, uh, customer service facing people, the people who are working in all these arenas and stadiums now that sports has been canceled. Um, even some of my, you know, uh, plumbers, mechanics, people who depend on people to spend money in order to kind of get a paycheck and do business. Like it's going to be really important for you to like plan ahead and, and get your things together in case there's like a a one to two week shutdown, you know, of the United States. Um, I mean, how are you feeling about that, Cheryl? So that's what I was about to ask you. So, so one of my coworkers keeps, she keeps saying that we are likely going to end up in like a four or five week shutdown. One to two weeks is, is definitely doable. What do you think? And I, and again, I know that neither of us are true experts in this because neither of us are friends with Trump, you know, to know what he's really going to make us do. Um, but what do you think is more likely to happen based on what we've seen so far and how this coronavirus has been um, handled? Do you think we're more likely going to be told, like, don't go anywhere for two weeks? Or do you think we're more likely going to be told, don't go anywhere for four weeks? So I think it's going to be as far as like the workers, like the adults. I think it's going to be more or less, it'll get to a point where it's don't go anywhere for two to three weeks. I, I think it, I think it will be a two to three week um, shut. And I think that 
extending that will depend heavily on how the economy does in that two to three week span. If the government comes up with like a good way to still, you know, get those type workers a paycheck to where they can live and, you know, the U.S. can kind of get on their own sense of a bare bones budget, then I think we may be okay. But if they don't come up with a good piece of legislation that will make sure that these people get paid and make sure that people can get tested and make sure that the economy can still run, then I think that it will be a shorter amount of time that we are kind of on shutdown, so to speak. But it's a matter of, you know, them taking it seriously and not just, you know, saying that we'll be okay and saying that the U.S. is doing a good job. Like, it's still a virus that's spreading. So, you know, I feel like they're having that dialogue and making promises to the American people, but we really have to see that in in real time and see, you know, the effects of what they're saying and not just have like, oh, this bill is supposed to be coming out or, oh, these changes are in the pipeline. Like, what does that actually mean? If we stop working today, like, are these people still going to get a check in two weeks? Are these people still going to be able to pay their rent, you know, take care of their kids? Like, so I think if they come up with a, a really, really good plan and we can afford to be in the house for three to four weeks, it may be a little bit longer. But if if it gets to the point to where, you know, people have to go to work to support themselves, I think it's going to be, you can, you can say stay in the house for four weeks, but in reality, people are going to get up and go to work because they have to get a paycheck. Yeah. So I have to always check myself and remember that I'm coming from a place of privilege because of all the things that you've just named. Um, the only thing that I feel like I've actually panicked about is being able to have access to a test if I were to need it because there's been such a shortage um, of tests. And so I think it's important because like I said, like I don't have any kids. I have a house partner. So I'm technically not even like responsible for that person. I have a salary. You know, I have the option of working from home. And so I haven't really necessarily thought about um, just a lot of what you just named because those aren't realities for me but I do think that and I think that's something that is more common within you know millennials than we think I was just reading something recently about how millennials have completely like disregarded um just this idea of marriage and all of that and I know and that could be a whole nother podcast for another day um but it just makes me think about just how we perceive a lot of things that are a lot more permanent and how that then does affect us in these types of spaces i look on facebook and i see all of my friends like you're telling us that we should pull out emergency money and be prepared with this uh noodle budget and then i look on facebook and i see my friends are booking flights to south africa um and, you know, in Mexico, because the flights are cheap, like everybody's going to Hawaii because they have $50 flights. And so that is <laughs> that just makes me just remember, like, these are things that we think about because we don't have all of these other responsibilities and we aren't necessarily the, the group that's the most at risk. And we're not usually the group that's the most fearful um, of things like this. But those are things that I do think that we should at least weigh in our mind, like, at some point, even though those flights are 50 bucks to Hawaii, the airline is going to say, we're not flying there, you know? And so we still need to be like cognizant and aware of, well, then what happens if I have to stay in my house for three weeks? Um, you know, 
anyway, I just, it just, it, it's just very interesting to me how differently a lot of our lives are because of where we are um, and what our priorities are and things like that. Right. Well, and speaking of staying uh, in the house, I, on a, on a more humorous tip, I find it really funny that a lot of people don't want to be at home. Like it's not so much that they're scared of the virus. It's just, I, I'm getting like a lot of the people that I've talked to, they do not want to be stuck in the house. And I just, I love being at home, so I can't necessarily relate. <laughs> I can think of a few good books I want to read and like not having to check in at nine o'clock in the morning and come home at five or six o'clock at night and fight the traffic. Like I can't wait, but there's a lot of people who do not want to be at home. And, you know, for our listeners who have like kids who are going to be running around the house and we're going to be restless. I get it. I really do. But those of you who just have, you know, kind of like Sherelle, where you just have a partner at home or myself who just has, you know, their husband at home. Why don't you want to be at home? Is there no, I mean, <laughs> there's so many like house chores that can be done or the yard needs to be done. Like, why don't you want to be at home? I find it, I find it hilarious. And I'll, I'll go ahead and say one of the frustrations, I have few, but one of the frustrations of being at home is that having a husband, I will have to, um, I don't know, fight the quarantine, I guess I'll word it like that. Like, <laughs> so I'm having him like come in the house because he works in, you know, customer service. So I feel like he's, the most at risk and I'm having him like come in the house and not touch anything and immediately strip before he can like you know go in the kitchen and get a snack and I am getting the most resistance like this is stupid I don't understand why I can't have a snack first why do I have to go all the way to the bathroom to wash my hands why can't I just wash them at the kitchen sink like it's it's that's the comedic side of this and I just don't understand why cleanliness is so frustrating to some people so <laughs> you know we have the same issue Nicole because I <laughs> and my partner gets off of, he gets home at 7 a.m and I will wake myself up um just to remind him do not go to the refrigerator take your clothes off wash your hands you know because it is hard especially um when you are not when you are in the world and you are then bringing germs because we can't see germs and so i think and and i think that because they, you can't see them that's why it's this like you know debate about is this really necessary or not because i don't believe like my my partner is one of the cleanest men i've ever met so um I think if he were to see the germs that are on the doorknob that he actually touches, he would not even touch it. You know, like he's the most showering man that I know. Um, however, because it does not feel real, we don't know anyone personally who has the coronavirus. We haven't seen anyone personally who has the coronavirus. We can't see the nasty particles that are flying in the air. You know, then it, then that's when it becomes a, this seems extreme um, type of situation, but I am all for being up at 7 a.m. every morning to make sure that I am helping um, mitigate some of the germs that are coming into the home because, you know, we have to stay safe and we have to be able to. And that's what I've been texting all of my teachers and emailing them. Don't worry about whatever it is that I asked you to send to me. Stay safe. Be safe. Wash your hands. Take care of yourself. Limit the people that you're around because we work in we work in schools and kids in general are gross. 
you know, so um, add this virus on top of it. And then we're really at risk at that point. So hopefully that's something that our, um, our men start to take more seriously. Maybe they need to start seeing, maybe actually, now that you say that, since we've had these two NBA players who have contracted the virus, um, maybe I need to be like, have conversations about that and say, Hey, look at this black NBA player who got it. <laughs> now you see the seriousness <laughs> of the situation, you know, cause I think it just seems too, too far away, you know, <laughs> too unrelevant or irrelevant, I guess, to their daily lives. Um, but yeah, so we don't want to keep you guys long. We don't want to have these super two hour podcast um, for you. So we are going to shift into our last segment, which is called Sherelle's Corner. Uh, and it's really just about me sharing gems to make us better. So as you guys are aware of, I'm sure, what I just found out. So I have AT&T U-verse, um, as my cable provider. And uh, I just found out that they have opened up access to all of the channels, all of the premium channels. Um, we just got alerts on my Google alerts shared with me that AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, of course, I have Verizon and they have not made this um, statement. But the, all of these people are saying, hey, we're not penalizing people for late charges. We're providing unlimited data. You know, we want people to be able to live despite, you know, the uncertainty that Nicole just talked about in terms of your finances and getting paid and things like that. I'm waiting on Verizon and the energy company because that's when I'll know I'm winning. But uh, so another thing, though, that has come out of all of this is that Trump has now waived student loan interest until further notice. So initially, when I heard about this, you know, I had all these mixed feelings because I think that Betsy is so incompetent. Um, and so when I heard that, you know, the waiving of the student loan interest would happen, of course, I was like, what does this really mean? Is this really like waiving of student loans forever? And if so, is it applying to only people who are currently applying for loans? Is it applying to people like me who have been out of college for 10 plus years? Um, and so then, of course, when I did a little bit more digging, it is in response to um, the virus, similarly to how AT&T and Sprint and all these other people have responded, um, just to kind of give some folks some relief. So that is a positive. So just in case y'all didn't know, you are being relieved of some of these issues or some of these um, financial responsibilities. I don't want to call them burdens, but some of these financial responsibilities that we have. But it definitely made me think about um, just the loan forgiveness program in general. I'm wondering what we need to do to get that program revised a little bit. I know Betsy tried to make it more strict, so I'm glad they shut that down. Um, but as someone who works in public service, technically, I'm eligible to get loan forgiveness after 10 years and 120 payments. And so as someone who consciously chooses to work in schools and work in those types of environments, particularly schools that are high need, um, you know, I feel like that's fair. I feel like it's fair when you choose to take a because when you choose to work in public service, typically you're choosing to take a pay cut, you know, and especially like I'm a high school teacher. So I'm a specialist in my area. Um, so I could go and get a degree, a, you know, a job, a much pay, higher paying job in that area. But I'm choosing to work in schools with kids. And now I work with teachers who help kids, but public service nonetheless. So historically, you know, you get you work 10 years, you get this repayment. Um, 
or this loan forgiveness. Um, within the last few years, I'd say five or so years, we added this element of, and then you have to enroll in an income-driven repayment plan first, okay? And and it's strongly encouraged, slightly required, I'll say, that you also consolidate your loans. So they want you to first um, consolidate your loans, and then you apply for this income-driven repayment plan, and then you are starting, you know, your 120 payments towards repayment or loan forgiveness from the government. Well, apparently there's a cap and I didn't know that. I just found out. Apparently there's a real cap to the income driven repayment plan. Um, so even though it's being marked as a requirement in order to get loan forgiveness as a public service worker, you can't make a certain amount of money. And so um, that's frustrating, you know, because as a young person, you want to be able to make as much as you can, especially when you're good at your job, especially when you have all of these loans. You know, I have I've gotten two degrees at this point. So I have loans spanning from undergrad. I went out of state for undergrad. So that adds a whole nother layer. Um, and then you have, you know, graduate school loans. Um, and so because I have gotten to a place of, I guess, a certain quality in my outputs as a professional, I've been compensated for it fairly, but now I'm no longer eligible to get uh, repay or loan forgiveness from the government. So it just seems very, um, contradictory. It seems like I'm being penalized for for being better in my job uh, to the point where I'm now able to request certain type of like salary based salary points and things like that, especially when we're thinking about just the hidden ideas behind the fact that there is a cap, like who knew, you know, and so that just makes me so that brings me to just this whole concept of like these waving of interest again for student loans that we're hearing we're celebrating him and we're so thankful and we're all of these things are happening and all this positive feedback is being given because you know loans are, are being waived and as many of you know with the democratic uh debates and the primaries and all of that that's one of the hot topics that the candidates are always talking about student loan debt student loan debt student loan debt um and so it just feels like another trick um, Nicole and I were both talking about, do we even get excited about this yet? Uh, because, you know, what is the communication that's actually being shared? And what are the expectations actually when it comes to this? And who's actually being, you know, benefiting from this? Um, I don't know. We could talk about that all day. I think. Yeah. Back, so I feel like, but... you know, I was thinking about this yesterday and I don't know. So just waiving the interest, is that really helping? Like any any amount of savings that you can get in terms of like your monthly obligations, obviously in a time like this is is helpful. But I'm like you, I, I, I reserve getting excited because if you actually think about it, if you actually look at your budget, I mean, first of all, the discussion around student loans is a lot of people are on forbearance, some type of forbearance plans anyway, because they can't make their student loan payment or, you know, they need their money and they need that money in their monthly budget. But then even more so the people who are making their regular payments. I mean, I, I just, I would like for them to shed a little bit more color around, you know, waiving the interest. And then is it just for federal loans? Is it for private loans as well? Like, I am very curious to hear how, how that's going to shake out because 
you know, we have the age group, our age group of the those of us who are parents and paying student loans, those of us who are just paying student loans, you know, we don't have any kids or um, houses yet because we've delayed all of that to pay student loans. And so my hope is that in coming out with that due to this pandemic, that it's more helpful than hurtful. But, you know, as you talked about, like having that, that cap on student loan forgiveness, it, it it's kind of, I'm kind of distrustful because I'm like, well, what's the catch? You know, are you waiving it right now? And then there's some kind of clawback later, or is this a true wave to truly help those of us who are paying the student loans to get this money back in our budget? And is interest really taking up that much space in our budget? You know, why not waive the whole payment? Why not drop the interest rate to zero? So I'm like you, Sherelle. I'm waiting to see what else they'll come out with in terms of language surrounding it. But I hope it's one of those things that's helping more than hurting. And I don't know. We'll just see how it shakes out. So you bring up some questions and some concerns that a lot of folks have had. So I'm looking at the article on um, Politico, just about Politico.com, just about this whole thing. And it's digging deeper into what you just said, right? So apparently they're saying that 42 million folks who owe more than or $1.5 trillion will have some type of relief. But to your point, why not just waive payments in general? Um, because even when I look at my monthly amount, my interest takes up, I think my interest is maybe like 15% or something. Now, 15% is still 15%. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that I still have this monthly loan payment amount. And so what's interesting is that when this whole idea arose, the Democrats proposed that the monthly payments entirely be waived, that there be a suspension. So they propose that monthly payments be waived as opposed to just the interest. They also propose that um, the interest just move to 0% period. Um, and so, of course, we know that that's not what came out of it. So I guess the compromise from Trump and Betsy was that we're not going to stop people from having to make the payments. We're not going to move it to 0% um, forever. We're just going to allow there to be a waiver in paying the interest during this indisclosed amount of time. So then it's also saying, too, because to your point, right, like when does this actually start? When does it actually go into effect? Um, it's not automatically changing, it says. So, <laughs> you know, I guess if you got a bill that included interest in the past, you still got to pay that bill. And the the lenders are trying to figure out how to actually implement this new whatever. I guess it's a policy that he has signed into order. But there's no cl there's no clarification about a lot of the questions that a lot of us have as borrowers. And I would assume that there's also not a lot of clarification when it comes to the lenders. And so everyone is just scrambling and everyone is like, this is really just like um, almost like a slap in the face because we're asking for you to actually consider our, our folks, our millions of people who have student loan debt. And you're saying, well, I'll waive interest. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know. It's just very frustrating to know especially when you're considering because it's affecting people like us like if we could have paid for school out of pocket we would have no one's going to pull out loans to pay for school if they don't have to 
you know, so um, just being a little bit more understanding to the fact that we have folks who are holding up our economy, who have all this debt, the student loan debt, because we didn't have any other yeah. option. I mean, to close on that subject, I would just tell our listeners, you know, just be careful with all these different changes that they're coming out with, like in the quote relief packet for the economy for the coronavirus, like just make sure if it's a change that you think is applicable to you, like do a little bit more digging, make sure there's not some form you have to submit or some type of qualification that you have to raise your hand and say, you know, I'm in that group because historically it would seem like, you know, even with things like the student loan forgiveness program that Sherelle's had to go through, like you had to know that you qualified and you had to know that there was a form that needed to be filled out. So I'm not going to say, you know, we can't trust our government, but a lot of times there is some type of loophole that comes with relief uh, bills and relief things that they do for the economy. So I would just say, you know, keep a lookout, make sure, you know, there's nothing that you have to fill out or um, keep up with in order to qualify for the different relief things that they're coming out with, including, you know, any type of emergency pay that these companies may be coming out with or, you know, testing kits or whatever um, surrounding the the entire pandemic mode that the economy is in. You just want to be really, really careful and make sure that, you know, the, the, the different um forms of aid that you're receiving or the forms of aid that are being offered, that there's no type of clawback and that in the end, it will actually be beneficial to you and your family and your budget. Because, you know, in times like this, a lot of times when the pandemic is over, that's when you begin to see the true consequences of, you know, some of the relief that you may have taken advantage of. Well, Nicole, that was it for my Sherelle corner. I would. Um, So, To our listeners, we kind of want to just give um, a big thank you for supporting us and listening in. We hope to see you guys. Well, we hope you'll be listening to us um, for our next episode. And everyone just kind of be safe and wash your hands and prepare for that hiatus you may be spending in the house. And just kind of manage your 24. That's kind of my tagline for 2020. And, you know, it's, it's the 24 hours that we have in a day. Just want to make sure you're making the most of your time. Um, and we will catch you guys on the next episode. Bye.